Father God, we pray for your presence in the house this morning as we have lifted our hearts to you. We pray that you would enter into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. We pray We pray for the upcoming week that uh, you would fill it with purpose and focus. Uh, arrest our attention, Lord, and make our lives count. I pray, Lord, for the presence of your Spirit this morning in a way that makes a tangible difference to many. I pray that you would unburden minds. I pray that you would heal bodies in a sovereign and beautiful way. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would make connections among people, uh, restore families, and create family. We pray, Lord, that you would give us an image of our own lives that guides our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody says, hey, how you doing? We survived. Thank God for that. Glad that you're here. It is our belief that you're not here by accident. And uh, my conviction is that the Lord is ministering to us uh, even now. So uh, we want to start with some warm-up questions, as we often do. So everybody get warm, roll your shoulders, blink your eyes, grit your teeth. Uh, first question. Uh, let's say, uh, what's, what's one activity that you want to do for sure in your faith life? One thing that you definitely want to do in, in your life of faith uh, in this world. I will give you eight seconds to come up with a good answer. Boom. There we go. Eight seconds of brilliance. What was it? What's like one thing that you definitely want to do in your faith life? Raise the dead. Raise the dead? Let's just just start there. Because because we like to set the bar moderately. There's a hand back here. Teaching. You want to teach. You want to teach. Interesting. Yeah. Alan. Pray for people. Pray for people who need healing. Definitely want to do that. Any others? Worship God. Worship's got a figure in there somewhere. Worship. I'll say prayer before anyone else does because somebody always says that. Yeah, Mike. Build the Lord's house. And Mike being Mike, he means that metaphorically and literally, because he's the handiest guy uh, in, in the congregation. So many good answers, right? Because the life of faith is filled with so many good opportunities. You could say prayer, you could say worship, ministries of, of different sorts. Um, you know, nobody said simply, well, I just, I just want to invest in someone. I just want to make a difference uh, for another person. But in some way, I think that's, that's what it all boils down to. Uh, related question, pop quiz question number two, how do you influence people? How do you influence people? I'm going to ask the question with a certain emphasis. How do you influence people? 
How do you influence people? We'll start at the top. Do you influence them badly? Could be, could be. Do you influence people not very much? That could be. If so, you know, that's bad because we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, right? We're supposed to flavor every environment we find ourselves in. Or do you influence people well? And if you influence people well, how do you do it? On a regular basis. I'll give you eight seconds to contemplate. Eight seconds of brilliance, go. All right, that's enough time. How do you influence people well? You speak of your experience. Yeah, testify. Yeah, that's brilliant. Great. Anybody else got a great answer? By preaching? I like that one. Justin? You try and point them to God? Great answer. Yeah. You show up. Another great answer. All right, in eight seconds, I'm going to give you a chance to influence the people next to you. You're just going to turn to someone next to you, and you're going to influence them. All right? Ready? Go. Influence. I see that some of you are influencing your neighbors with stoic stillness. Good, good. That's great. Fantastic. That works. One of my favorite techniques. All right, good job, everybody. Influential crowd. That ends the warm-up section of our, uh, of our service this morning. Shaking off the hurricane hangover. Some of you are still influencing. Stop influencing. Go back to being neutral. Let me influence. Uh, eight or nine days ago, uh, a friend of mine passed away, a fellow named Jay McRoberts, who was a teacher and coach of mine in middle school and high school. Uh, I lived in Oregon at the time uh, that I went to middle school and, and high school. Um, he got uh, pancreatic cancer and, and passed away uh, very quickly. I wasn't even aware uh, that he was sick. In the final days of his life, <clears throat> his, his family... Um, solicited and gathered uh, testimonies, uh, notes from his former students uh, from all over, and we would send in um, basically farewell notes, notes of testimony, and and then uh, his wife read those notes to him as he lay on his deathbed, uh, notes from all the kids um, that he had influenced over decades uh, in his uh, educational uh, career, which I think that's not a bad way to go out. If you had to pick one, uh, that was pretty good. I, of course, wrote him a note and, uh, you know, wish, wish I could have done more because he was so influential to me, this guy. Uh, called him Coach McRoberts. He never actually coached me in a sport because he, like, he would coach, like, the weight events, like the shot put and the discus and track, and, you know, I obviously did not do that. Um, you know, I was a, a sprinter. He coached football, but um, he would coach... Uh, like the, the, the younger guys of the JV team. Um, and uh, I was on a different team. But uh, every, every week um, when I was in middle school, he would lead the Letterman's Club meeting with the 
the, uh, the meeting for all the varsity athletes in the school. Only the guys, because this was the 80s. And, uh, and we would meet in the boys' locker room at Scenic Junior High School. Um, stuffy, uh, smelly. And it was Letterman's Club. Only varsity athletes could go, but McRoberts being McRoberts, he just opened it up eventually to anyone who wanted to go. Even non-athletes would go to our Letterman's Club meeting, and we would pack in this locker room and basically listen to the guy preach every Friday. He would just preach to the kids, which was just highly illegal, but he was fantastic at it, and he was so good at it that every kid wanted to be there in that smelly locker room. Uh, I wrote him of a story I remember from my ninth grade year, which was ninth grade was the last uh, year of middle school in our setup, and, and it was during football season, and we had a good team, and we were playing for uh, the conference championship. We had to travel to Klamath Falls to, to beat a team that was really, really good, and we fell behind 28 to nothing in the fourth quarter uh, with just like <clears throat> eight or nine minutes left. We were down 28 points, and we mounted this just miraculous comeback. Uh, and it ended up being 28 to 28 in the closing minutes. We recovered a fumble on, on uh, their goal line. We're about to score. Klamath Falls was famous, famous for having crooked referees, uh, homers, for those of you who know the phrase. And so you know, the ref sort of cheated and discounted the fumble. And we ended up tying, which was still an amazing story. And, and we met to celebrate the victory the next week in the Letterman's Club. And he talked about the victory. He talked about the spirit of victory. And then he talked about an, uh a conversation that he had with a kid named Leif Knutsen. Um, Leif was uh, a little guy, he was a tiny little guy, particularly then. Uh, was on the football team, but wasn't really cut out for football. He ended up being a pretty good wrestler, but wasn't cut out for football. But McRoberts talked about the conversation he had and how Leif had, had said, I'm just grateful to be part of this. It means so much to me. He's such a supportive little kid. Um, basically just glorified little Leif, who, as it turned out, didn't get in for a single play of the entire game. Uh, but I remember looking at Leif as McRoberts was talking, and he just sat up straight. He just grew as McRoberts was appreciating his spirit in front of all the cool varsity athletes in the school. You know, Best sermon I ever heard. Best sermon I ever heard. I remember that sermon to this day, and it influences me every week. Uh, There was a kid in school named Harold Day who had passed away a few years before I got there, but McRoberts told the story so much that everybody in the middle school and high school knew about Harold Day, who was another athlete who wasn't very good. And Harold came to school one day, uh, the story goes, and said to McRoberts, you know what I wish, McRoberts? And Coach McRoberts, who was kind of a wise guy, said, what, that I wouldn't show up? And Harold said, no, I wish you could be my dad. And then that night, Harold passed away from a massive brain aneurysm. And so uh, the school created the Harold Day Memorial Award for the best athlete in the school, year in, year out. But really, it was just a celebration of that moment, and everybody understood that. And uh, <clears throat> if you won the award uh, every year, what McRoberts would do is he'd put you in the car, he'd drive you out to Rocky Point Cemetery in Gold Hill, and you'd spend an evening sitting by Harold Day's grave listening to McRoberts tell stories. Um, and uh, he, uh, he gathered a, a few of us together uh, my year and took us out there because um, he didn't know uh, who should win it. And, uh, and I was the only believer in that bunch. 
and he talked to a few of the other kids who were there and just, just told stories. And I learned from McRoberts, like, <clears throat> you know, you can teach from knowledge, but you can only preach from experience. You can only preach from stories. And those of you whom I have trained to preach, you have heard me say that. You've heard me say you can teach from knowledge, but you can only preach from experience. Life is in the stories that you have to tell. And that's what made his preaching change lives. You know, and, uh, and I learned that from him. Uh, my dream was to go to Stanford University. Long story how I got that dream. But my senior year, I applied to Stanford University. Of course, I asked McRoberts to write one of my recommendation letters. They're supposed to be private. You sent him away. He pulled me out of class one day and put me into a, a classroom that wasn't being used, sat me down at a desk and said, I want to read my recommendation to you. It's classic McRoberts. Um, so he just started reading his letter and said, yes, you know, if Jordan achieved just Jordan achieved that, tried to make me sound really good. And then I, I remember this moment engraved in my memory. His voice lifted. And he said, but it is the spiritual fibers in this young man that truly set him apart. He went on. I could quote you the rest of that paragraph today. That's how big an impact it made on me. So Jordan will succeed because he is spiritually strong. And, and he mailed away the recommendation. Um, boy, I needed that. You know, I needed someone to tell me how I ticked. You know? Never forget that moment. Uh, and then uh, the day I found out that I got in to Stanford, which was a big deal in my life, um, <clears throat> nobody from my high school, from that little valley, ever kind of got out to an elite place, you know. So that was like, this was, this was a, a conceptual blockbuster, you know. And I felt like I had, I had escaped, you know, almost. And uh, at that time, my, my household... Uh, was really stressed out uh, by a number of things. And um, we were going through a, a weird time, and I couldn't really celebrate at home. So I got a call from McRoberts, who had heard on the grapevine that I had made it. Everybody was waiting to hear what, what my letter said. And so uh, he invited me over to, uh, I had uh, a little uh, girlfriend at the time. Her family had adopted me and treated me well. I, I went over to her house and sat with her family and McRoberts brought over peanut butter ice cream and root beer, like my favorite things. And, uh, and we just chatted uh, the night away. Um, obviously, I tell you these stories <clears throat> because the man was an influence. Changed my life. Uh, for no other reason except that he decided he would. Uh, and I guarantee you that um, around the country today there are are hundreds of people telling similar stories um, in, in different ways. Um, all that happened in my teen years, but to this day, I try to be like Coach McRoberts to people. Um, <clears throat> I just try to be, I just try to make the right difference. And... Uh, there's something about that that I think is at the core of everything that we do. Uh, as, as believers, there's nothing more precious than a life, nothing more tragic than a life that's wasted, and somewhere in the middle of that is, is us trying to make people realize the gift of their life 
uh, and what it should be, and that there is a God who has designed it to be a certain way, and that it can go on forever into eternity, adventure to adventure, uh, purpose to purpose in a way that we can't even imagine yet. I believe that's true, and if that's true at all, then I need to make a difference, not to the world, I need to make a difference to the persons standing in front of me. That's the breakdown. And in my humble opinion, uh, that's the one thing in our faith walk that is not negotiable. That's the one thing that we all must do. Otherwise, we have utterly missed the point. And when Jesus talks about being the salt of the earth, of the light of the world, I mean, primarily, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about seeing the person in front of us and making the right sort of difference, the right sort of influence. We are finishing today a sermon series on the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, and we've you know, been studying him for you know, a few months now. Paul had an uncompromising focus in life. I mean, the guy just... We get a huge arc of his life story, and you never see him let up. You know, he's always pressing. Life is ministry uh, for him. He's, great, he's the greatest church planter in, in history. He's the guy that basically took the faith into Europe. Um, he never got off track. Uh, he stayed on point past uh, the boundary of suffering to the point of death. He got his head lopped off by Nero. His accomplishments were legendary. What was the most vital thing on Paul's resume? Of all the things that he did, what would the dude boast about? What was the thing that he was most proud of? And there, there are many ways in which one could answer that question, but he said it was the people whose lives he changed. That's what he boasted about. The most important thing Paul did, according to Paul, was to invest in individuals, was to invest in people standing in front of him. Of course, he might have learned that from Jesus. Uh, our scripture on the program uh, today is a short one. Uh, it comes from 1 Thessalonians 2. You can read on the back of your program. It's going to be up on the big board. You could follow along on your smartphone Bibles. And it's just a short one because um, I, just, I just throw it out there as kind of a typical one in uh, a typical verse that you would read in, in almost any of Paul's epistles. But this is what he said to the Thessalonians, uh, the people who uh, were in the church in Thessalonica. He said, for what is our hope? He's talking about him and his team, his ministry team. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? What's the thing? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Of all the things that Paul accomplished, it wasn't, wasn't the great suffering he went through. It wasn't the scars on his body. It wasn't the letters that he wrote, all the Bible books that he wrote. It wasn't, you know, the the nations that he changed, you know, he said, well, the thing that I'm going to boast about is, is you guys, is the people that I influenced. And I just think that's a surprising statement. 
But again, it is a sort of statement that Paul often made. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, he said, he was just telling them about his life. Uh, and he said to the Corinthians, I face death every day. Whether there's a hurricane or not, I'm adding that. I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, Every time I am faced with death, which happened to Paul fairly frequently, uh, I boast to God about you. You know, so what's that moment? Paul's saying, well, I could die right here. You know, they could stone me to death today. Lord, how about all those people I've influenced? That's kind of how it went uh, for Paul, which is sort of, sort of striking. I might play it differently. Were I Paul, I might say, wow, I could get killed. Lord, I've been really obedient. I could go that route. Uh, Lord, I'm the guy that took the faith to a whole new continent. Maybe you want to keep that in mind uh, while the, uh, the stoners are coming. It's huh, kind of funny. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, he, he put it this way. This is a more familiar verse, but hear it in context. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And just, you know, just hear that as to influence as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law so as to win those under the law. To those who did not have the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might restore some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. As Paul saw it, you know, there's a gospel, literally there's good news, there's a message that we have to preach And my response to that is to do whatever I need to do to restore people in light of that message, to bring them uh, the good news. And and that's how I share in the blessings of the gospel. I imagine Paul standing in heaven on uh, Judgment Day. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work, but... uh, And, you know, he walks up to to the gate, and and somebody asks him, Well, um, what you got? And he just kind of points to the line of people uh, that he's influenced. Say, I got them. I got them. You know, and he probably won't say anything else. Of course, Paul had learned it from Barnabas. Do you remember that uh, sermon in this series? Barnabas had gone and gotten Paul and seen Paul for who he was and built him up as an individual. This is how the gospel passes in the world, doesn't it? It passes from person to person, just as love passes from person to person. Indeed, one of the great verses of all the epistles is, nothing counts but faith expressing itself through love. If you are a believer, if you are a faith person, then, then you will love people. Or as Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, you will love others and, and bring them an understanding and in a relationship uh, with God. Uh, Here's a formula, if you need one, for how to do this. This is my favorite formula uh, for influencing people, and it's the one that I learned uh, when I was young. Uh, Number one, 
uh, figure out who God made the person to be. There's a person standing in front of you. Figure out who God made the person to be. Pardon the weird grammar, but you get it. Uh, who is it standing in front of you? Uh, figure out who it is. And number two, uh, tell the person about it with confidence. Confidence is another word for faith. Yeah, confidence, confide, with faith. Confidence just means with faith. Uh, so, you know, you have to move in faith, otherwise it doesn't count. Uh, that's what made Coach McRoberts such a powerful person. Uh, none of us kids in a podunk high school in a super economically depressed area of the United States had reason to, you know, believe uh, necessarily that any of us would become anything great. But he spoke with such faith and conviction. He clearly had more faith for me than I did. And I think that's the tone that we want to, uh, that we want to hit. Uh, number three, and support the person in whatever way you can as they become the person that they ought to be in God. And number four, repeat as necessary. That's, that's it, I think. That's it. It means that when a person is standing in front of you, sitting beside you, you actually have to look at them, right? You actually have to look at them. My experience is that if you bother to actually look at the person around you, that it's fairly easy to see who God made them to be. We actually do this quite a bit at Blue Water in 50 different ways. Um, you don't need to be, you know, super prophetic or super insightful. There's a lot about the people around you that are, that is obviously of God. Just, just bother to see it. And then whatever it is you happen to see, I mean, say so. Call it out. Speak to it. Speak to it. Uh, with faith. It's my, it's my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, I said a few weeks ago, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not super socially smooth. No, seriously. Um, but I'm good at that uh, because I started doing that as soon as I experienced it. Like, wow, this is awesome. This is addictive. Everybody's terrified in the world. Nobody knows who they are. God does. And I know God. I think I can make a difference. I think I can influence people as long as I, as I do it with, with faith. Um, and then support the person in whatever way. And then a lot of what we do around Blue Water is basically support structures. I mean, we have Ohana groups. That's our basic support structure. Get somebody into the group, and then, you know, they get, they get tag-teamed, and, and they get sucked into the life of ministry as well. And pretty soon, we're not just one person influencing another person. We're a community of influencers and up-builders, and everybody is becoming more like their truth selves, and it's just an awesome place to be. Say amen if you've experienced that. It's like, yeah, I'm a little bit more of the real version of me since I've been here. Is that true of anyone? Right. It's because it's basic uh, to what we do. So whatever, whatever it takes, you know, support them however you can. Uh, you can support them just by speaking encouragement. You can support them by teaching them things. You can support them by healing them when necessary. You can support them with generosity and financial support. That's really easy. Anybody can do that if you have a buck. 
um, you know, just generally support it. Um, we do it with courage and freedom uh, because we are the people of God. And repeat is necessary. Don't let anything distract you. And one of the great lessons of the life of Paul as we've gone through his life in this sermon series is that the dude just wouldn't get distracted. There is no way to distract Paul from this process. You could stone him and leave him for dead. He would pop up the next day and on his way out of town encourage the new believers. Remember that, Philippi? I don't know. you You could put him in a hurricane at sea for two weeks, you know, shipwreck him and, and stick him on a sandbar and swim to shore. He's going to get up, shake off the water, and gather firewood for his friends in order to be a positive influence. Shake off the viper or preach to the townsfolk. You just couldn't distract the guy. Every moment of every day, he was trying to be a salty person. He was trying to influence the people around him. He was looking around and saying, oh, who are you? Oh, I see. I see who you are, which is to say, I see how God made you. I see God's purpose for your life. I really think, I really think you're meant for eternal things. I really think that the suffering that you're going through right now is just momentary and light. I don't think it defines you. I think you overcome it. I think that God made you to be a, a person around whom he can build community. I think you're an encourager. I knew a guy, Barnabas, who was just like you. I think that was his normal daily conversation. Do you get it? Couldn't distract the guy. You can learn tools and techniques as you go. But 95% of the influence game is just doing it however you can. Showing up, as Leon said earlier. 95% of it is just trying. And we at Blue Water know that word really, really well. Uh, Everybody here who is a regular, has been around for a while, knows about discipleship questions. You know, we rehearse these discipleship questions like, well, what's God doing in your life? Um, What are you doing about it? What makes it hard? Um, Who are you influencing? How can I help? You know, those things should be pretty much automatic. Those are fine tools. If you need a tool, just, you know, ask really provocative questions, in other words. And we've been trained in that and trained in that and trained in that. Nobody is without means to influence the folks around. The startling thing about this salt-of-the-earth mission is, is how anybody can do it. I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard to influence people well, not because it's hard to offer influence, but because people can be real idiots when you do it. I mean, there is nothing in the world more disappointing than people. Amen? Yeah, just turn to someone next to you and say, yeah, you know, people suck. Go ahead. Just, just you know, get that out of the way. Let's just get it off our chest. It's like, man, you know, it's just working with people is just really, 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 I'm pretty sure that even psychologists feel that working with people can be really frustrating sometimes. Yeah. I mean, not your clients, but yeah, yeah. You know, you have to have special conferences to get them together and just train them in basic connection and stuff like super valuable. Um, Yeah, man, it's hard because people can be fickle idiots. But anybody can get in the game. 
You know, anybody can, can offer influence. Anybody can influence anybody else if they just get, well, good response or what Jesus called good soil. You know, if somebody is just willing to be influenced, it's pretty easy to influence them toward God. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm a believer today because when I was a, a, a toddler, um, a woman across the street, Carlene McCown, uh, took me in to babysit me one day as a favor to my grandmother. Uh, and the McCowns were a great Christian family. Don McCown drove the Sunday school bus uh, for Trinity Nazarene in, in uh, South Sacramento. And uh, I, did, uh, I did Uncle Don's funeral when he passed away uh, several years ago. And there were kids who became Christians on that bus at the funeral. Driving a bus, man. Driving a bus. He sold uh, pharmaceuticals for a living. But he influenced hundreds of kids because he made himself available to Sunday school. All right, the key to everything, though, the key to everything, the key to what I'm talking about, the key to accomplishing this one thing that you absolutely must accomplish if you consider yourself a kingdom person is to do it intentionally. To do it on purpose to have intention. Nobody influences other people well by, by accident. You have to choose to do it. You have to choose to pursue it. You have to have intention. You have to put your mind to it. As Paul said to the Ephesians, live a life worthy of your calling. Think about it, he, he would say in, in Ephesians 4. In the next chapter, he said, Look, be very careful about how you live each day, not as unwise, but as wise people, making the most of every opportunity, or as some translations say, being conscientious of the passing time because the days are evil. In other words, if you're not doing it on purpose, you'll just get taken by the day. Right? You have to seize the day or the day will seize you and it will not go well. It's the reason that we've called the upcoming church retreat Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, Building Your Blue Water Life. Like, you have to do it on purpose, or it doesn't get done. Period. Period. There, there is no exception. Right? If you're not doing it intentionally, uh, then you'll just drift through life and wake up one day on your deathbed. <laughs> And there won't be too many testimonies for you to celebrate. You have to do it intentionally. That was the most amazing thing about Coach McRoberts to me. I, I got to watch him decide to pursue kids who needed help. And being a good discipler, he would call me into the office and include me in these conversations. Jordan, what do you, what do you think about David? Uh, you know what's going on with him? What's the best way to influence him? That's how I learned. It's like, wow, you think about this stuff? Yeah, I do. Ever since Jesus got a hold of my life. I like this Christianity. This makes a difference. I want to be a difference maker. That's how it worked for me. And, uh, and I've learned that that's how it works for Jesus followers 
all around the world uh, if, they're, if they're healthy. So do it intentionally. Put your mind to it, which means do it now. Do it now. You have to do it today. You cannot make it part of a complicated developing life plan. It's too easy to keep the future in the future. No, the future is today. Why? Because the days are evil, Paul says. Do it now, otherwise time just flows too fast. Make the most of every opportunity. I guarantee you, you will have opportunity to influence people today. You will have opportunity to influence people before you leave these doors. And I just beg you, in the name of Christ, seize the opportunities. That's what your life is for. Don't mess this up. Even this, don't mess this up. A lot of people have sacrificed a lot of things just to make this gathering possible. And if you walk out the door without trying to influence somebody toward Jesus, you've missed the whole thing. You've squandered a costly, costly constructed opportunity. But of course, you have the same opportunities in your workplace. You have the same opportunities in your home. You have the same opportunities in your classroom. And God puts these opportunities in front of you. Don't mess it up. Do not mess it up. Don't let anybody ever convince you that Christianity is anything but being the salt of the earth to the people around you, making the right difference. Now, a lot goes into being a difference-making person, but that's the point. Life is, is, that, is that ministry. Do it now. The whole world is afraid and uncertain. The whole world is afraid and uncertain. You, not so much. Don't be afraid and uncertain. Move in confidence with a faith tone and just speak confidently to people about themselves. Boom. There you go. Faith expressing itself through love. Love expressing itself with faith. Easy schmeasy. So let's do a personal audit as we end. Uh, how are you doing in this department? How are you doing in the old influence the people around you department? I will give you eight seconds. Take eight seconds of brilliance and think about this. How are you doing? This influencing the people around you. Seems like a good moment for reflection. How are you doing? So let's see a collection. Be a raised fist, a shaky hand. Or uh, hands down. Which is it? Well, combination, right? Which is, which is probably honest. And, you know, it's probably where we should be as a community because we all come in in different places, right? The point is not to be perfect right now. The point is to be a little better by the end of the day. You know, my favorite saying from Alcoholics Anonymous, progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. And what we're encouraging here is, is progress. Those sort of personal audits, they are not designed to be self-judgment and self-condemnation. They're just designed to be evaluations uh, because they're really helpful in moving forward. If you are not doing a very good job influencing the people around you, then probably uh, it's for one of two reasons. Uh, number one, self-image. Your self-image sucks, and you just can't quite see yourself as an influencer, and so you don't do it. Uh, and so what you need is somebody to stand in front of you and tell you who you are in Christ with confidence to help you become who you should be. Self-image should certainly not be a barrier uh, because any moron can influence someone else for Jesus. Go ahead, say that to someone. Any moron 
can influence somebody else for Jesus. That is grace. That is awesome. I love that about the kingdom of God. Some people might be better at it than others, but hey, it's an all-play situation. And I love that about the kingdom. So it might be your self-image. Try to get over that in various ways. Uh, and the other, the other thing might be not self-image, but self-absorption. You're just so absorbed with your own stuff that you just don't think about the people on your periphery. And, you know, life encourages that because life is busy. It's filled with crises. You have hurricanes, literal and, and, and metaphorical, in your life, just blowing things over and stirring things up. And if you feel overmatched by your life, it's really tempting to just focus on your life. And that's a, that's a lie that Satan uses to defeat us. You know, it's been in the midst of some of my greatest life crises that I've made uh, the biggest difference for the most people. Never, ever stop trying to do it. Anyway, food for thought. I think life is ministry. I think the reason we're here on the earth is to make a difference uh, for God. That's how we display our trust of God. And this is what ministry boils down to. Everybody needs to do it. Everybody needs to influence the people around them. It's how we share in the blessings of the gospel, according to Paul. Everybody must. And anybody can. And that's, uh, that's really good news. Let's pray. If we have some false idea about greatness, God, I pray that you would change our idea. Jesus said that uh, he wants to be greatest of all, must be the servant of all. Uh, He wants to be great in the kingdom of God. She who wants to be great in the kingdom of God must just think about the people around them. Uh, So pierce our false ideas of greatness and uh, interrupt uh, the bunny trails in our life, uh, things that are consuming us falsely. It is our prayer, Lord, just to be uh, salt and light uh, to the people that you bring through our life. To the degree that we are suffering from a problematic self-image, I pray, Lord, that, that the wind of your Spirit would come and just give us the faith to transcend that. You can give us a healthier self-image, Lord, or you can just uh, break us out of the habit of thinking too much about ourselves. That'd be good, too. We're called by you to make a difference. Enough said. It's who we are. And then, Lord, I just pray for a great healing moment that you would just free us from self-absorption, that you would give us the grace to see beyond our own personal stuff, our personal storms, our personal disappointments, our personal intrigues, our own emotions, get us out of ourselves, 
uh, so that we can make a difference for someone else. We pray for deliverance, Lord. Deliverance from um, self-absorption. I pray, Lord, I pray with my brothers and sisters that you would make the Blue Water community uh, a community uh, of influence that... uh, that we would uh, double ourselves, that we would create influencers, and that person by person, uh, we would grow to infiltrate communities all over the island and, uh, and the world, one at a time. And I bless you, brothers and sisters, uh, to be influencers, to be storytellers, to be those who speak with confidence about others. Uh, I loose your lips to speak into the lives of people everywhere. Do it. I charge you in the name of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.